Good evening, everyone. It is um, great to be uh, back in uh, the Book of Acts. Thank you very much, Elizabeth, for praying for all of those different things and praying for us as we now um, look at it together. Do open up, uh, back up to Acts chapter 6. If you've got a Bible with you, that would be really helpful as we look at this little passage together this evening. Now, you um, might not believe it, but this plant here was once a flourishing, beautiful red poncetta. It was given to us uh, by a neighbor uh, just before Christmas. Um, one of the nicest plants I think we've ever received. Um, and yet here it is today. Sadly, withering, slowly dying, its glory gone. It's been neglected. It's been stuck in our back room, no sunlight, very little water. Um, Maybe it can be salvaged, but we'll see. Now, it's it's a little bit of a sad story, but I think in this plant, uh, we can see something of the situation of our passage this evening, or at least something of the situation that we could have faced as a result of what we see here. If you were with us last week, we were getting back into the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 5, and we were seeing, weren't we, that the, despite the continued opposition and seeming setbacks that we, we were facing, um, the gospel was never derailed. It was continuing to go out. We said it was continuing to steam ahead. God was building his church, even when it seemed that all might be lost. The church, we could say, was flourishing. It was that poncetta in full bloom. More and more red leaves appearing every single day. But of course, it's one thing, isn't it, to to get to that situation of a flourishing church and another to keep on with that church flourishing, to keep the plant alive, as it were, and to keep it growing. And I think that's what our passage here is this evening is here to help us see. To help us see what will it look like for the church to continue to grow. To continue with all of the challenges that are coming with a growing church. How will it stay alive? How will it flourish? And as we uh, consider this together in the case of the early church, as we're going to do this evening, we're going to see some key principles for us to take away with us here at Great Vic this evening, and for the church, I think, more widely. See, I think we're at an interesting point, aren't we, at the moment at Great Vic? We are encouraged. We're encouraged to see growth, to see more people coming, to see new life to see families. And we're also excited, aren't we, to think about our building project, the opportunities that might come as a result of that with a new building out on the street front, more and more people passing, lots more facilities that we can use. But as we see that, there's something that I think the devil would love to do to us over the next little while, and that is distract us. Distract us. Remember, we've seen in the previous chapters here in Acts that opposition, well, that hasn't been enough. 
to derail the gospel going forward. And neither in the case of Ananias and Sapphira, um, we looked at before Christmas, neither has hypocrisy, deceit within the church. That's been rooted out. So here is another line of attack for the devil that we're going to see to distract the church, to distract the church from what it has been called to do so that eventually it maybe ends up looking a bit more like this poncetta, withering and dying. So let's get into our passage this evening then and ask for God's help. God's help that as we consider his word, he would use this, God's word, as a weapon against the devil to keep us from being distracted, to keep on proclaiming the gospel and living it out, keeping us as a church from withering and dying, but instead continuing to grow and flourish in all that we do. In verse 1, here's the setting I think we find ourselves in. As we've just said, the devil's various schemes have failed to prevent God's word from going out. So what we see is a living, growing church. Dom, I don't seem to have the clicker here, so if you don't mind throwing that up on the screen for me, that would be really helpful. We have a living, growing church. Look with me at the first half of verse 1. Here's the setting for our passage. It starts, doesn't it? Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number. This is what we've consistently seen if you've been with us through the book of Acts, isn't it? Ever since Peter first preached the gospel back on Pentecost, we've seen God's church growing. God's unstoppable gospel continuing to go ahead and go out to the world. And that's what we're continuing to see here, increasing numbers coming to know Christ. And before we get into the meat of the rest of this passage, I think it's worth stopping, first of all, to say, what's got us here? What has got us to the point of a living, growing church? And if we look at the immediate context, here, I think, is the first thing that we see. We see that we are here because the church has been day in, day out, preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Look back with me, if you've got a Bible with you, to where we finished up last Sunday evening, chapter 5, verse 42. We read there that we see the apostles going every day to the temple and from house to house, not ceasing to preach and teach that the Christ is Jesus. This might seem obvious, right? But it is worth stopping and taking note of. Back in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, that beautiful passage, right, that showed us uh, the devoted, spirit-filled community, well, we see exactly the same thing. We see the church, first and foremost, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. And here is what we see continuing on. The apostles teaching the growing number of disciples of Christ from God's word, and then preaching And taking that word out to those who don't yet know Christ so that they can come to know him too. As I said, this might seem obvious, but we'll see from the rest of our passage, this is something that we need to hold on to. A church is only ever going to be alive and growing when it's consistently, without fail, week in, week out, unashamedly preaching that the Christ is Jesus. This is what the early church have been doing, and we've seen the fruit of that, haven't we? There in verse 1, with the number of disciples greatly increasing day by day. 
So that's the first thing that's got us there. Here's the second thing, I think, that has got us there. And we see a hint of this, I think, in the rest of verse 1 as well. That's going to show us what it is to be this healthy church. If you look with me at the rest of verse 1, we see, don't we, that there's a complaint that is brought uh, to the apostles about some people being neglected in the daily distribution. And we're going to get into that in just a minute, the specifics of that complaint. But in this complaint, I think we see something of what's going on in the early church. What we see going on is the practical provision for all of God's people. Where there is a need, right, that need is being met. Here, in the case of widows. But of course, we've read about that all the way through, again, in the book of Acts to this point, back in chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Again, we read about people selling their possessions and belongings and bringing the proceeds to the apostles to then be given out. And this is so much the case that in chapter 4, we read that this all, because of all of this, amongst the Christian community here, there was not a needy person among them. Isn't that a great image? See, for the early church, it isn't just about preaching and teaching the gospel. Yes, they're doing that. But then it's also living out the gospel. Living out the gospel by serving and caring for each other. Knowing that their Savior did exactly that for them. Served them. Gave everything up for them. These are the regular, repeated things we see the church doing in these early days. Preaching Christ and then practically providing for each other, caring for each other. And the fruit of that is clear, isn't it? As more and more people continue to be convicted of their sin, their need of Christ, and then join this flourishing, growing church, receiving all the care and the support that they need. So that's what's got us here. But what we see here in our passage then, I think, Uh, if you were with us last week, is another possible derailment opportunity, isn't it, to the gospel going out? Because we see here suddenly this this picture-perfect image almost of the church, as we've pretty much seen up to this point, come crashing down. In verse 1, we're presented here, I think, with what I'd call growing pains. Growing pains. Pains that are coming about because of all that this is, all that's happening, because of the fact the church is alive and it's growing so quick, quickly. Look with me at that second half now of verse one. It says, "A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution." In some ways. What we see there is no surprise, is it? If we think about the fact that the church has been growing so quickly up to this point. Thousands of people now as the church. And as they practically provide for each other, we see here, don't we, that some specific individuals, namely the Hellenist widows, that is the Greek-speaking Jewish widows, they seem to be being neglected. They're not receiving what they need in the daily distribution, whether that's food, clothing, whatever else it might have been. Now, as we see to these, come to these verses, there are some who see a pretty sharp division going on. We see, don't we, that the Hellenists are complaining against the Hebrews, that is, the Aramaic-speaking Jewish people. 
Because presumably the Hebrew widows are, being, are receiving what they need and the Hellenist widows aren't. And clearly there is something going on here in this division, isn't there? But I don't think that there is any reason from this text to read too much into this neglect as being some kind of purposeful attempt to, to sideline the Hellenists. I don't think this is a case of favoritism or anything like that. Instead, I think what we see here is this creaking system, this creaking system that is set up, that has worked up to this point to practically provide for people. But because every single day, more and more people are being joining the church, well, this kind of thing easily crops up, doesn't it? Perhaps there is more going on here. We can't be 100% sure. There's certainly at least the chance, isn't there, for this kind of division to grow. But the point is this. Will this situation now derail the gospel and the growth of the church, causing it to begin to wither and die instead of going on flourishing? That's the threat here, isn't it? So let's look at how the apostles, the twelve, Respond. Let's uh, read together verses 2 to 4. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Seeing that something needs to be done here in light of the complaint that's being brought to them, the 12 spring into action, don't they? And they, they call together all of the believers. Interesting, all of, it says here all of the disciples. That's the first time in the book of Acts that, that the Christians more widely referred to as disciples and what we obviously continue to be today as we follow our Savior I've mentioned uh, several times, I think, up to this point that Heather and I are a fan are fans of a good house show, in particular, a fixer-upper. But one of the other house shows that we really enjoy is one called Location, Location, Location. I don't know if anybody else enjoys that kind of a program. Anyway, this, in this show, we see Kirsty Olsop and Phil Spencer, they're the two presenters, and they go and they help house hunters to find their perfect home. And the title of the show picks up on this regularly repeated theme within it. As people are guided around the various different homes, they often come across one home that just meets everything that they could ever ask for. It's, it's got a beautiful front. It's got, it's got a house with a big garden. It's got four bedrooms. It's got a garage. It's got a large garden with an extra space out the back for a swimming pool. It's got two cars parking spaces. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's got an open plan living. It's got everything. You name it. The house is perfect. But in the end, they don't buy it. And the reason is because it's in the wrong location. It's too far from work. It's too far from family. It's too far from the shops, whatever it may be. The location is the key. That seems to be what makes all the difference in house hunting. I don't know if there are any estate agents out there, but whether you'd agree with that. It's location. That's what it's all about. And for continued church growth, to keep it alive and flourishing, here, I think, is what it is all about. Here is the key that the 12 present here in these verses. 
Not location, 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 but priorities, priorities, priorities. What the apostles don't say, see, in their response is this, is it? Oh, feeding a few widows? Well, that doesn't really matter. Let's just, let's just carry on with what we're doing. And on the opposite side of things, what they equally don't say is this, oh no, we have to drop everything now and start doing everything about this, sorting this out, dropping everything for the next few months, we'll sort this mess out. No, instead, what we see in the disciples, in the apostles here, is a measured response, a measured response. See, they take the complaint seriously, don't they? Seems there is something to be sorted here. Widows are being neglected, but they also wisely realize that this kind of issue could soon swallow up everything that the church is about, particular taking up all the time of these apostles. And so what they do is they plot a way forward that is based around priorities. And priority number one that rings out so loud and clear from these verses is the continued preaching and teaching of God's word. We see this in verse 2, if you look with me, where the apostles say that it isn't good, it isn't desirable that they should spend all their time sorting out this kind of issue when there is continued desperate need for the preaching of the word to continue. See, the apostles remember, don't they, that this is what they've been personally called to by Christ, to be his witnesses to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So if they now end up spending all their time serving tables, ensuring food is perfectly distributed equally to those given and given to those most in need, well, they're not going to be able to effectively be the witnesses that they've been called to be. Verse 4 picks up on this, doesn't it? When they conclude, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles are here recognizing something that we desperately need to hold on to today. If we here at Great Vic and and elsewhere in the church more widely want to continue to be a church that is alive, growing, flourishing, not withering and dying, there is one distinctive that separates out the church from any other community any other organization, any other social group, and that is the gospel. Steve has said this in the past, I know, but anyone can give food to the poor, can give clothes to the needy, can offer shelter to those who need it, can do all kinds of good things, and we want to be a part of that too. But here is what the church alone can offer, that no one else can. Forgiveness, hope, and eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from holding out that hope, that hope that is found in Jesus from God's word, we are only ever going to paper over cracks in somebody's life, cracks that are going to rip right back open again. But in preaching and teaching about Christ, we are showing people someone who can transform their lives completely, making them whole, Now, as we think about this, I guess there's a question that we could have in our minds. 
about the apostles, about the apostles, does what the apostles say and do here imply that they think that serving tables, ensuring widows are well cared for and looked after, is somehow below them, beneath them in some kind of way? And I think it's just important to see that I don't think that's at all what's going on in this passage. Remember, up to this point, it seems that the apostles have been a part of this as people came and laid resources at their feet so that they could distribute it. But here's what's happened. That job has now become too big, hasn't it? And it's threatening now to occupy all of the apostles' time. And as we said, we know that this ultimately isn't what they've been called to do. They're to preach God's word, to be witnesses to Christ's life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. So that's what they need to spend lots of their time doing. Now, as we look back at this, we obviously know that the apostles aren't around with us today, 2,000 years on. So how, as we respond to this passage, should we let it shape what we're doing today as a church? Well, here's the first thing, I think. We need to keep on regularly, repeatedly, unashamedly preaching and teaching the word of God and proclaiming that the Christ is Jesus. That's why we're gathering like this, this evening. That's why we gather every single Sunday, morning and evening, and why we devote such a good amount of the time that we do gather to God's Word. It's a priority for us. That's why we gather, uh, as we gather at midweeks, we want to pray, but we also spend a little bit of time in God's Word. It's why we study God's Word together in small groups. It's why we're thinking and hoping that after Easter, we can also begin an evangelistic Bible study of some sort. Because we have words of life to hold out to our city. Words of life that cannot be found anywhere else. So no matter what other good things we might think of being involved in and we might end up being involved in, the preaching and teaching of God's word needs to be our number one priority as we go forward as a church. And then here's the second thing that I think we see from this. While we don't have apostles today called by Christ like these apostles were, what we do have as we clearly see later in the book of Acts as well, and then elsewhere in the New Testament, are elders. Elders who are similarly called to primarily preach and teach God's word. Here's what Paul writes to Titus in Titus chapter 1 about elders in the local churches in Crete. He writes, They must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we read of elders who rule well being considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So elders taking on this role. But but here's the thing, so often... Even as those called to this, a life of teaching and preaching, so often those lives can end up being spent so much more doing other things. A bit like the apostles could have ended up doing in our passage here too. So from this passage, we need to also, 
as elders here and also as a church as a whole, be reflecting on what we see here, what we see modeled by the apostles, and be doing all that we can to ensure that the right amount of time, a good amount of time, is spent by us as elders here, preparing for and then preaching and teaching God's word. So many other things can become priorities. And so many of those things can be good, as we'll see in just a moment. But this is the number one priority for those who are called to be overseers in the church, to be shepherds to God's flock, and that is proclaiming and preaching Christ. I was so thankful when I got got here a year and a half or so ago that Steve has always encouraged me in this, to take the time needed, not just some bare minimum every single week to prepare to preach God's word, but to take good time to do that. I know how easily for myself can get busy with so many other things, but it's good that this remains a priority. That's for us as elders, but how, I guess, then can we all as a church respond to this? Well, first of all, I think just by recognizing it, by recognizing that this is the model that we see here in a church of leaders, leaders who devote themselves to prayer, public prayer, private prayer, It's a good challenge, again, for us as elders. Is that what we're devoting ourselves to? And then recognizing also, as we've just said, that this model of leaders is a model of leaders who are devoting themselves to the ministry of the word. And in recognizing this, I think we can all play our part in making this the case. I'm so thankful, personally, for the encouraging nature and environment here at Great Vic. Those who encourage Steve and I and others as we preach God's word, that really helps us, spurs us on, as we week by week look to do that. And I'm also thankful for those who facilitate the fact that Steve and I are then able to do this. People who do jobs, as we'll think about in a moment, that could end up taking up most of our weeks, but they end up taking those on for us. Even just late this week, as an example, I got a very helpful text about something specific happening in the church, but the text ended like this. No rush at all, no need to reply before Sunday evening when your preaching duties are met. Those are just examples. For all of these ways that you help keep us prioritizing the ministry of God's word, we are very thankful. We want to say back to you, We will press on with this. We will press on week in, week out, studying God's word, coming to terms with it and preaching it, proclaiming it, holding out the truths that are there and helping those truths to then be applied to our lives. That's what we're going to press on doing. We're going to press on doing that because we have a gospel that is truly life-transforming. It's a privilege and joy to preach Christ every single week. So let's press on in holding that to be what we are all about here as a church. Even as we think about a building project, as we think of all these other opportunities that could come up, let's keep on keeping the main thing the main thing. Preaching and teaching God's word so that we as Christians can continue to flourish and so that many more can come to know the Lord Jesus for themselves. So in the apostles' response about priorities, 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 we see them clearly say, don't we, that preaching and teaching of God's word must be number one. 
But that doesn't then mean that there aren't other priorities. No, this issue that has come up here about the Hellenist widows, that is still a priority, isn't it? Just not one that should take up all of the apostles' time. So we see here in what the apostles say and do that practical provision and care also remains a priority and a significant, a big priority. Just look at the extent that they go to to try to sort this issue out. Verse 3, they say, Brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, the duty of resolving this complaint, and then presumably caring for the widows as well. And then in verse 5, they do this, don't they? Choosing those seven men, including Stephen, who's that man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 6, the apostles pray for these men, don't they? And lay their hands on them. For the apostles, this is no, hey, that just doesn't, doesn't concern us, all of this. Or it's not just, let's just let's do the bare minimum that we can just to try and keep everyone happy. No. The apostles are telling the disciples to carefully choose the best men. The best men to do this. The men who can devote their time to sorting out this kind of issue. Do you see that the men are to be of good repute, full of wisdom and the spirit. And it's worth, I think, also as we see this, noticing that from what we can gather from each of the, the names of these seven men, it's likely that each of them would have spoken Greek. Which is interesting, isn't it? Because you remember, that's the language of those Hellenist widows who are being neglected. So we can see that these, these, uh, those chosen are chosen carefully. They're chosen because of their character, because of their witness, because of their wisdom, but also chosen because they are practically able to help those who are in need here. The church and the apostles, they're prioritizing, aren't they? Making things right. Prioritize continually to practically provide for and care for the most needy. And they do that by wisely choosing people outside of the apostles who can carry out this kind of duty. Often this text is referred back to when we think about the office of deacon. I think there's good reason for that. And while I don't think there is necessarily a straight line between this passage here and, and deacons mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament and what that role of deacon looks like today, I think, again, it's a really helpful principle as we think about what deacons do, but then also as we think about what we all do, what we all do in the church as we serve. See, God has not called all of us to devote all of our lives to the ministry of the word, to preaching the word of God. But he has, we know, through the gifts and abilities that he has given every single one of us and through the Holy Spirit, also given to every single one of us, equipped and enabled us to, in some way or another, bless and serve those around us in the church. What we see in this passage, I think, is a specific example of what we presume carries on. A specific example of, of uh, the church living out the commands that we read later from the Apostle Paul. Commands like he writes to care for one another, to serve one another, to love one another, to be devoted to one another. 
And seeing the church prioritize this should encourage us to continue to do the same. Look for ways that we, too, can be a part of that. And looking for others, looking to encourage others to use their gifts and abilities for the building up of the body, too. Whether that is an official role, like a deacon role, or whether that's just taking on another act of service in the church. One mistake, I think, that can be made from this passage is to begin to like, differentiate out the areas of service that we see here in some kind of hierarchical way. The apostles, well, well, they're the most important, aren't they? Do you see? They dedicate their life to preaching the word. They are the most spiritual. Well, then the rest, well, they just kind of do what they can. Kind of doesn't really matter as much to be spiritual or anything like that. But that's not what is going on in this passage. Notice with me, first of all, that those seven who are chosen, we're told they're to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. And they are, that's true because everything we do, every conversation we have, every time we reach out and provide for, care for somebody else in the church, there is a spiritual element going on. So all of us should seek to be like those described in, in, in verse 3 there, full of the Spirit and wisdom. And notice also that both of the roles that are defined here, those of the 12 apostles and those of the seven, they are seen equally as acts of service. There's no hierarchy here. We don't see this in the English translation, but at the end of verse 2, if you look with me, the word translated to serve tables, that's what the seven are called to, is exactly the same word used then to later on to speak of the ministry of the word. And that's what the 12 are called to. Both of those are called to serve. It's that word, diakoneo, to serve, which, which is how we get the word deacon today. Both groups are doing nothing other than this, serving. And they're serving according to the specific calling that God has given them. We are all of us here this evening in the ministry. That's often used, isn't it, of someone who's a full-time Christian worker. They're in the ministry. But we are all in the ministry this evening. We are all called to serve each other. Our ministries won't look the same. But I think what we see here in this passage is an encouragement in whatever way we serve to press on in that, to press on in serving. So as we reflect on this passage, I wonder what area of service, of ministry, God is calling you to. Calling you to amongst the people here at Great Vic, amongst the people in our city. Is there a particular gift that you feel God has given you that you could use to serve or encourage others here? Or maybe as you look in at the church, you see other good things that you think we could think about doing that maybe you could be involved in. There's such a diverse ways of, of serving the Lord that God calls his people to. Let me just encourage you this evening. Press on in doing that. Press on in serving him. 
And as we think about that, I want to also just take a moment to recognize and appreciate the many, many ways that so many people are already doing this in our church. I want to recognize and appreciate all the ways that so many of you are already devoting yourselves to the Lord and to serving, to serving in so many different ways. Those who are giving up time on a free evening to plan for our Sunday school, to serve the children. Those who are every single week sorting out our PowerPoint. Those who are arriving early and practicing music like we've enjoyed this evening. Those who are welcoming on the door, even in cold nights. Those who are opening the door and then waiting until about midnight for the last stragglers to leave. Thank you, and we want to appreciate those who do look out and care for those like the widows here, those most in need, those who encourage people, who phone people. There's so many ways that as we look at the church here, there's just so much encouragement. As elders, we want to appreciate that and just encourage you and encourage us to keep on doing that. What we see here in our passage, I think we see at Great Vic, a church that is practically providing for each other, caring for each other, and serving each other. All so that we can continue to be a living, growing church. And that's what we long for the church to bless us with. Because look there at verse 7, back to the passage. That's what we see, isn't it? As a result of all of this going on, a picture of a living, growing church. Look at verse 7 as we uh, begin to draw to a close. It says this, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is the first of six summaries here of growth that we see uh, from Luke in the book of Acts. And it's no surprise we see it here, I think. Because what we've seen all the way through up to this point is that nothing has stopped the gospel from going out. The devil has not been able in any way to derail God's gospel. Even here, where it seemed that division, distraction might do that, God, by his spirit, has actually used this as a means to strengthen his church, hasn't he? Look, more people called into service. And the apostles freed up to continue preaching the word of God. And as the church prioritizes preaching that the Christ is Jesus, they also then prioritize being a loving, united community that serves each other which in itself is also a witness, isn't it? A witness to the gospel that has transformed our lives. The gospel is going out. And the gospel is continuing to be lived out by God's people. And as a result, we read there in verse 7, the word of God has continued to increase. And that word for increase there is the same word as grow, Which takes us back, I think, to this plant that we began with at the beginning. As a church, we long to continue to be a living, growing church. Let's not let the devil distract us. Distract us by uh, by taking our eyes off our priorities. 
so that we would wither and begin to die. But instead, let's pray that we would prioritize wisely, prioritize well, meaning that for years and years to come, the hope of the gospel will go out from this place into the rest of our city. Let's pray for that now as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the encouragement from your words. Lord, we thank you that what we see again in uh, this little passage that we've looked at this evening is your gospel continuing to go out. And Lord, we thank you for the encouragement of, of seeing that in the book of Acts, that nothing that the devil throws at your work will prevent it from going ahead and flourishing. And Lord, as we as a church reflect here on what we've been thinking about this evening, Lord, please would you help us to prioritize well. Lord, help us to keep on keeping the main thing the main thing. Help us to keep on preaching and proclaiming the gospel faithfully and boldly into our city. And Lord, help us then also, as a, as a response to that, as a flowing out of the, of the gospel that has changed each of us, Lord, help us then to also care for each other, to serve each other. Lord, help us here this evening, even those of us thinking there about these acts of service that we see. Lord, direct us, help us to know what it is that we are called to do amongst the church, that each of us here might be a blessing and an encouragement. And Lord, as we look ahead to the future, as we think about our building plans, as we think about many, many different opportunities, Lord, we just ask that you would help to help us to be faithful, faithful in preaching the gospel. Whether that's in this building, whether that's in a new building, whatever way that is, Lord, we want to be faithful in preaching the word. Help that to be what we are all about here as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to close by singing now a song that reminds us of the hope of that gospel that we want to be preaching and proclaiming to our city. And then it reminds us at the end, towards the end there, of what it is to be a part of the church, to be a part of the church, be a part of God's plan to deliver captives in every corner of the earth. So let's uh, stand and sing this together. It's all.
Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all.